0: hello and welcome to the gestalt it rundown today is wednesday january the 12th 2022 my name is tom hollingsworth and i want to wish everyone out there a happy national pharmacist day Um, joining me is the man who can compound the news into any kind of magical concoction that
1: you might need mr stephen foskett stephen welcome to the show it's nice to be here. Just call me Doctor Robert today, the magical pharmacist.
0: <laughs> yes, we will. We will call you Doctor, even though we must, uh, for legal reasons, denote that Stephen does not have a doctorate. But uh, you know what? He's he's a doctor in our hearts. Um, we do have some great news stories that came up because, you know, the funny thing is, even though it's the first real week of 2022, the news hasn't stopped, um, including some changes over at a friend of the show, Intel. And if you remember, it was about a year ago when we had the exciting breaking news that Pat Gelsinger was taking over the reins as the CEO. Well, uh, there were some executive changes that happened this week. Um, EVP and GM of the Client Computing Group, Gregory Bryant, is leaving to uh, to seek out some new challenges. And he's being replaced by the current chief revenue officer, Michelle Johnston Holfaus. Um, there was also another announcement that they are hiring a new C- uh, CFO, and that would be uh, David Zinsner, who came over from Micron. Now, the departure of Bryant is really interesting from a timing perspective because he was the one who was in charge of Intel's presence at CES. Uh, just was it last week? Um, And so you had to think that he knew he was leaving when he was out in Vegas. So it's kind of interesting. Um, Now, on the other hand, uh, his replacement, uh, Holthaus, has actually been at Intel since 1996. So she's been there for over 25 years. And the move is widely seen as a way to bolster some of the relationships that Intel has with some of their OEM partners. Now, going over to the CFO desk, uh, Zensner's hire is said to really be a way to complement uh, the uh, views that Gelsinger has on things like CapEx expenditures. We know that Intel's been really busy building a whole lot of factories and really trying to ramp up production given the, the chip shortage and things like that. Um, but they've also been doing this kind of without a CEO since Bob Swan had left. Um, The current CFO will stay on until May to kind of function in a transitory role, um, especially given that the hire of Zinsner comes right when they're about to release their earnings. Um, Stephen, what are your thoughts around some of these executive shuffles over
1: at Intel? Well, thanks for that, Tom. And I think you uh, covered the facts pretty well. Uh, Just a few uh, clarifications and points that I'd like to make here. Uh, Number one, I'd like to point out that George Davis did let us know last year that he was planning on stepping down as CFO. And the fact that he's staying for a few months uh, really makes that look like a pretty routine transition. And the fact that uh, Zinsner came in from Micron, which was, of course, an Intel partner with the 3D Crosspoint, uh, really, really knows this business. Uh, Basically, I'm just going to set that one aside. That's not an important change. Uh, Probably a good move uh, for everyone involved. And I think that that's fine. Uh, The other one is much more interesting. So, um, you know, Bryant, uh, it was really uh, it had to have been a surprise to him that he was leaving, because otherwise uh, you wouldn't have probably seen him on stage at CES. And the fact that um, that they are moving in um, Michelle Johnston Holt House to take over, I think that this is uh, really telling. As we've talked about quite a lot, Intel faces a lot of headwinds right now from uh, Apple defecting to their in-house M1 chips to uh, the continued strength of ARM in mobile devices and client, but also now increasingly in the data center to the rise of uh, NVIDIA and AMD as competitors um, from the desktop all the way up through the high-end and uh, data center and cloud. Um, Intel is uh, really, really facing challenges, but on the, the whole uh, client computing sector, Um, Intel has remained pretty strong. As we talked about last week, their latest uh, mobile platform is pretty competitive and AMD is really the one uh, trying to catch up with Intel, not the other way around. But that being said, um, frankly, there's still some discontent. And the fact that they picked uh, Holthouse to take over as the uh, head of client computing really shows that Intel really wants to focus on those client uh, computing OEM relationships. They are not going put, gonna to put up with losing companies like Dell and HPE and Lenovo, uh, Asus, Acer, all these other companies. They're not going to lose them. They're going to fight for that business, and I think that whole house is the one to do it. So overall, I think this is a, a good move, and I think it's very, very telling that this is the move that Intel chose to make. If your applications freaked out last week, you may not have been alone The popular NPM libraries Color and Faker, which uh, received nearly 25 million downloads uh, on GitHub, were updated with a bunch of random gibberish on the console, including shouts of Liberty and non-ASCII characters. The initial impressions of the hijack were soon found to be intentional as the developer Mark Squires purposefully added new features as a protest against large companies that rely on free software without contributing back to open source or paying developers for their efforts. Squires said back in November that he will no longer be supporting commercial entities with his modules and that those groups either need to fork uh, his projects or pay him a salary in order to use them. Reaction to the move has been, uh, let's say, mixed. Uh, Tom, what's your reaction? Boy, this was
0: uh, really polarizing from what I could tell over the the reading through things. So effectively, this is a problem that we've talked about quite a bit, not only on the rundown, but a lot of the other things we do here at Gestalt IT is this idea of taking open source projects and kind of building on them. I mean, let's be honest, Amazon is notorious for this. And the number of stories that we can cover of Amazon taking a project, building on it, and then when the developer has problems with the way they're doing it, suddenly forking it into their own, you know, Amazon version is legion at this point. The problem is kind of a the... If you can call it the dark side of the the coin from the uh, NPMs that are being sold off for large sums and then being hijacked to deliver ads and malware, this is essentially the dark side being the developer choosing to do this on their own to make a statement. So let's just look at this quickly from the side of Strawman has a point that people are definitely building a lot of their commercial success on the back of these developers. Anybody that had to live through the LogForge debacle in December knows this. That being said, if you're going to do a protest, maybe the way to do the protest is to not randomly update your, your package on GitHub that a lot of people set to update automatically, and then all of a sudden all of their applications break. I get that he went out and he made the statement back in November and he was pretty specific, fork my project or pay me six figures or something bad's going to happen. But when he did that, he pissed a lot of people off. And, and there are a lot of people who have said, you know, good on him for making a statement. There's also a lot of other people that said um, it feels kind of like you're throwing a tantrum. And if you don't want people using free software for their projects, don't publish free software which won't be a problem for him because his GitHub account got suspended anyway and GitHub rolled back to the, the good versions, if you will. So I don't think we're really anywhere close to seeing the end of this. We're kind of in the opening salvo stages of developers fighting back against commercial entities. I hope that the solution is, is that commercial entities will actually start feeding the ecosystem that feeds them. But I also know that that decision usually driven by bottom lines. And I know what makes a bottom line look even better and that's using free stuff. So here's hoping this comes out with a, a better solution overall. Um, Stephen, a happier piece of news related to free software and commercial support is that VMware has made Tanzu a real thing as of this week. Now, you're probably asking yourself, wait, I've, I've been hearing about Tanzu for a while. Now, if you think back, that was Project Tanzu, which we saw back in 2019. But this week is when Tanzu application platform became a GA product. Um, it's a response to the trend in the cloud computing industry of the microservices. Uh, you probably know those as containers or probably by their brand name, Kubernetes. Um, VMware's stated goal for the Tanzu platform is that it wants to bridge the gap that they see between using containers as a tool versus building a platform and an ecosystem around the entire development. Um, Now, Steven, you and I were at VMworld in 2019 when they announced Project Tanzu to everyone, and we all kind of looked at it going, hmm, that should be very interesting. How has the community received Project Tanzu over these last couple of years? And does
1: this look like the future of where VMware needs to be headed? Yeah, I would say emphatically, yes. Uh, Number one, uh, Tanzu was really, really well designed. It was a really nice way to integrate Kubernetes with virtualization and um, specifically with vSphere. Uh, number two, it has been embraced by pretty much everyone in the uh, VMware ecosystem. This thing has been very, very successful. When it was announced, we were kind of scratching our heads and thinking, wow, you know, that's pretty cool that VMware decided to pull Kubernetes uh, into vSphere and integrate it so tightly. Uh, since then, I think all of those design decisions have been absolutely validated. Now, I frankly, it, it doesn't matter as much what the community thinks of it as it matters what VMware's customers think of it. And frankly, I think a lot of VMware's customers were just hungry for it to be GA'd so that they could uh, deploy this. Essentially, this is the next generation of vSphere. Um, this is the new thing. This is uh, probably the best example of a um, inside the data center technology uh, embracing a outside the data center technology, Kubernetes. And um, in a way that is both true to the uh, microservices and cloud application platform as it is to the underlying uh, platform vSphere that it's running on. So I have to say um, A plus on the uh, development of, of Tanzu, A-plus on the uh, rollout of Tanzu, and uh, A-plus in terms of waiting for this thing to get ready for prime time. It's here. Uh, Tanzu is the new vSphere. Uh, let's do this thing. Tom, in a year where companies are weighing the merits of going back to in-person events, uh, GSMA has decided that Mobile World Congress is going to happen no matter what. The announcement from the industry group that their flagship industry tentpole is going to proceed in Barcelona at the end of February was announced this week uh, with some interesting fanfare. Coming off a recent CES in Las Vegas, which featured very, very light foot traffic and a sparse showing of presenters, the questions about whether or not GSMA would see many attendees at uh, Mobile World Congress uh, really was uh, big on, on people's minds, including ours. We were planning on going. 2020 was the first year in three decades without MWC, and 2021 saw the event push back to summer. Uh, Tom, uh, is GSMA taking the right approach and holding uh, MWC in Barcelona?
0: Well, Stephen, let me uh, introduce you to this nice can of worms right here, because they have really cracked one open. Um, first of all, the primary goal of the conference organizers should not be to have a show. It should be the safety of, of the people who are exhibiting and attending. Full stop, end of story. Like you would not have this show in the middle of a fire, an earthquake, a typhoon, a hurricane, or invali- invasion by space aliens. Can we all agree on that? We're not going to have this if the if uh, Fira Gran is on fire. Okay, that being said, why is it important that you have this? And this is a question that every conference organizer has been asking. And and for reference, Cisco Live Amsterdam, which was scheduled to happen two weeks before Mobile World Congress, was canceled out of an abundance of caution for the attendees and the exhibitors, which is a phrase we're all too familiar with over the last couple of years. So would you rather push it back to summer again, which by all accounts was not the greatest decision, but it allowed them to have it. Would you rather have it be some sort of a hybrid virtual event, which doesn't bode well because you're out of the wrong time zones and things like that? Or would you rather have it look like CES 2022, which you could have mistaken for any mall in middle America, which looks like it's half empty and nobody's there? I don't have the right answer, unfortunately. I don't run Mobile World Congress. The events that we do. We have a different perspective because of the attendance and things like that. But these are the questions that we weigh on our minds when we have these conversations. And yes, I was planning on being at Cisco Live Amsterdam. We were planning on being at Mobile World Congress. But the Amsterdam conversation got taken out of our hands, and the Mobile World Congress conversation is a completely different one now. I don't think the right answer is for GSMA to step out and go, we're going to do it no matter what. Because we're going to do it no matter what means there's going to be three people there potentially. But I don't know what the right answer is. I think the better answer would have been, we're still evaluating what this is going to look like. And we're still trying to figure out what needs to happen to keep everybody safe and healthy. So I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep you posted on what happens with Mobile World Congress. Hopefully, there won't be a whole lot of news out of it that isn't product announcements. All right, Stephen, we had a couple of stories this week that we really wanted to take a bit of a closer look at. And uh, the first one comes from uh, one of those legendary internet personalities. Um, let me start off by saying uh, Web3 is a hot new term that's taking the whole internet by storm. Now, if you're like me and you still haven't figured out what Web 2.0 was supposed to do, yeah, don't worry about that because we're already on to the next version. I think it has something to do with blockchain and crypto, Maybe. But someone who has done a lot of thinking about Web3 is Moxie Marlinspike, who, by the way, has the best internet name ever. Um, In a recent piece that he wrote on his blog, he talked about the growing use of blockchain, cryptocurrency, and non-fungible tokens, everybody's favorite NFTs, and how all of them collide to create this mashup that people are calling Web3. But somehow it doesn't quite live up to the expectations that people are talking it up to. Now, Stephen, you brought this article to my attention, and it was an excellent read. I totally recommend checking out our show notes to learn a little bit more about it. What did you think of uh, the analysis of Sir Moxie here?
1: Well, uh, first of all, uh, Matthew Rosenfeld, oh, I mean Moxie Marlinspike, Spike, is uh, <laughs> uniquely, uniquely qualified to speak on this. This is someone who has contributed more to the internet and more to the cryptography community, if not the cryptocurrency community, than pretty much anyone you can name. Uh, Moxie is the one who created WhatsApp. Uh, Moxie is the one who created Signal. Moxie is the one who knows more about end-to-end encryption and data protection and everything than pretty much everybody. Uh, He's also somebody who is very, very outspoken and very, very sharp. Uh, And so when Moxie speaks, people listen. So in this article, I think it's important to recognize this is not just another hater article. This is not just another, oh, cryptocurrencies and blockchain are burning down the rainforest or, oh, you know, NFTs are useless because they're pictures of monkeys. No. In fact, if you read the thing, he's like, yeah, I don't get it. But you know what? I'm going to play with it. True hacker mentality. So what he did was he made an NFT. He made uh everything go. He like did did the things, you know, made the stuff, uh played with the blockchain, uh issued an NFT with um amusing consequences because uh one of the things that he's trying to point out, again, it's not a hater view, it's a very very nerdy hacker view. It's a technical view. And and what he's trying to point out is that frankly, all this blockchain using stuff would actually be better off not using blockchain because blockchain actually isn't providing the benefits that it's supposed to provide in these contexts with these real applications. And instead, what you're doing is you're papering over blockchain with a bunch of, frankly, Web 2.0 or even Web 1.0 stuff that is supposed to be passe. And so in order to demonstrate this, uh, what he did with his NFT is he made Uh, an NFT that points to a URL and the URL gives a different picture depending on which browser you're using to view it. In other words, he's putting a lie to the whole concept of an NFT, that an NFT is uniquely linked to a piece of artwork, because it ain't. It's it's linked to a URL and whatever's on the other end of that URL is whatever. And then he further went and um, got his NFT canned by the uh, hosting provider, the NFT host that he was using, because, frankly, you're not supposed to be doing this. It was a true emperor's new clothes moment, because by doing this, by saying, hey, uh, you know, you you, you messed up with this NFT, you shouldn't have been doing this, um, MetaMask, what they did was they actually exposed the lie of the whole thing. In other words, they can just... Take your NFT away and no amount of blockchain is going to protect you. So in true hacker fashion, there's a lot of technical detail here. There's also a lot of recommendations here and suggestions and thoughts on where this could go and why this is going in this direction. And I want to point out another thing. Another Internet sensation replied to Moxie Marlin Spike's article, Um, none other than Vitalik Buterin, the guy who created Ethereum, Posted a wonderful and thoughtful reply. And you know what he said? In true hacker fashion, he said, You know what? You're right. Web3 isn't ready for prime time. There are all these old school paper, you know, centralized server, all this stuff is still here. And we really need to work on this. And frankly, some days like this, I love the internet. And this is one of those days
0: to me it felt an awful lot like what happens when you ask a car enthusiast for a recommendation of what car to drive versus when you ask a mechanic for a recommendation of what car to drive you're probably going to get two completely different answers which one do you trust do you trust the person who looks at a lot of cars and wants to tell you how awesome cars are or do you trust a person who actually gets under the hood of a car and tries to figure out how it works and in this case Moxie's Moxie was, I'm going to break this thing. And break it, he did. And I think that that's an important distinction here. Like you said, this wasn't an armchair quarterback. This wasn't me trying to crap all over crypto. Because let's be fair, I have a security background. I don't understand blockchain. I don't want to understand blockchain. Moxie does. And Moxie came back and said, you know what? It doesn't work the way you say it does. Which is really interesting. Because in a world where we live with people who are uber skeptical Of everything that anybody tries to sell you, boy, they are all in on whatever web 3.0 looks like, as long as it includes blockchain. And and that was one of the points in the article that I just couldn't get enough of. If you rip out the blockchain, you still have like 90% of the functionality of what people are trying to sell you. So why does blockchain need to be there? Because someone somewhere said that whatever the future looks like, it has to include blockchain because that's the revolutionary technology. And the rest of this stuff just came along for a ride. And I think that that's the growing pains that we're going to have to see for a long time. If you want this to be a core technology that's important to the development of this protocol, of this platform, of this suite, then you have to make it a core value proposition. And before you look at me and go, well, you're just hating on blockchain and you don't think that this is an important thing, I will tell you, that, oh, what are we on now? About six or seven years ago, whatever the future of the network looked like, it had to include OpenFlow because OpenFlow was software-defined networking. I challenge you to find a product today that's using OpenFlow in any form or fashion because it turns out that the software part of SDN, was really important, And once we abstracted the application of the technology away from the technology itself and built around what was really important, we did revolutionize the network. And the network today looks radically different than it did back then. But if you tie yourself to a boat anchor, do not be surprised when you find yourself underwater. All right, Steven. Moxie wasn't making news just because of his uh, analysis of Web3 Uh, because he kind of lost his job this week. Now, admittedly, it was it was him doing it, because on Monday, he announced that he's replacing himself as CEO of Signal, um, you know, that encrypted messaging app that he was involved with. Uh, the executive chairman and founder of one of the other founders of WhatsApp, uh, Brian Acton, is going to step in as the replacement CEO until they can find someone who's permanent. Um, Marlon Spike said in a statement that he's looking for someone with, quote, fresh energy and commitment to lead the app. Now, the popularity of Signal has been exploding by leaps and bounds because the people who own WhatsApp, you know, Meta Facebook, have been making a lot of changes which feel really scummy under the surface. One of the key pieces that you need to know about Signal if you're not already using it is that it doesn't rely on ad revenue to fund the project, you know, the thing that feeds the Meta Facebook monster. They rely on donations. However, there are some questions about the long-term sustainability of the Signal platform especially when you've got somebody who's about to step in who we don't know anything about. Now you would hope that the people who are leading the CEO search would be a little bit more inclined to include somebody who kind of has that viewpoint that they, uh, the old CEO had, but who knows? Now, Stephen, what could have motivated everyone's favorite um, internet superstar to step away from a, a founding that he made? Um, does this bode ill for everyone's, what are we on now, maybe second favorite messaging app
1: that's not named WhatsApp? Well, I guess first things first, uh, it's important to point out that these two stories are not related apart from the name of the person involved. Uh, I see no reason to suspect that uh, Moxie's work on NFTs is related to stepping down as uh, the head of Signal. The other thing I think that it's important to point out is that this Brian Acton fellow was also the co-founder of WhatsApp and the basically the co-founder of Signal as well. So he knows a thing or two about Signal and WhatsApp, but he's technically the interim CEO. So what's going on here? Well, number one, Signal really has taken over as the um, darling best of the best uh, messaging app. Think about it as sort of uh, the iPhone of uh, in a world of Androids, or the you know, Mac OS in a world of Windows PCs. It's the one that uh, a lot of people really like and embrace uh, for what it is. And one of the reasons for that is, as you said, because it's not linked to one of these internet giants. It's an independent group. Apparently, there's about 30 people there that are writing this uh, application, but that being said, it seems like uh, a lot of the work was handled for a long time by Moxie Marlinspike. And in fact, he was uh, eff- effectively the primary coder. Uh, he was also responsible for a lot of the back end stuff. And he tells us a story of uh, sitting there, uh, working on his uh, project uh, outside a restaurant on uh, New Year's Eve and things like that, trying to make sure that Signal still worked. Um, that can wear on a guy. And I imagine that uh, maybe the time came for him to step aside. Frankly, I uh, understand that and I respect that. And um, for, for the last few years, apparently they've been hiring more people. They've been trying to set the, 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 the project up so that it has uh, people who to, can do that kind of work and not have to rely on the founder to be the one doing all that. And I really respect the fact that he was able to put that team together and uh, set it up on its feet and make it go. But there is another story here. And that other story is that Signal is also right now considering adding mobile payments to the platform. And this, well, for one thing, you're like, yeah, so what, everything's got mobile payments, right? But think about it this way. Signal is effectively the darling of the crypto uh, cryptography, I mean, crowd. And and here it is making a play for the cryptocurrency crowd with uh, effectively uh, untraceable uh, payments and untraceable wallet. And that is likely to put Signal in the crosshairs of a lot of governments, uh, both here and abroad. Maybe what Signal really needs is a uh, CEO who's ready to fight Washington and Moscow and Beijing and Brussels and not someone who's going to sit on a sidewalk coding an Android uh, port of the platform. Yeah,
0: I, I, I think that, that that metaphor that you talked about right there is kind of an important one. So not to, not to put them in places that they really don't belong, but I mean, that drive, that passion, that waking up at 3 a.m. to write code, reminds me of the guy who created the iPhone and the Macintosh and, you know, was very famous for um, being a nerd, um, Mr. Steve Jobs. And, uh, you know, even he got burned out and eventually he had to step away. Somebody else had to take the reins of the company that he founded and and poured a lot of his energy into. And one would argue that someone like Tim Cook isn't waking up at 3 a.m. to write code. But more importantly, he understands the challenges of what happens when a company becomes mainstream. And if you add support for cryptocurrency, if you support add support for mobile wallets, which is what you need to break into some of these large messaging app ecosystems. I mean, we talk about the fact that Signal has kind of supplanted WhatsApp in a lot of places. The only reason that people really still use WhatsApp is because it's uh, kind of a, a component of Meta Facebook. Um, but you're not going to topple WeChat anytime soon because that is an enormous payment uh, system that's being used overseas. I mean, we've, we've seen stories on the rundown of how uh, if the U.S. cripples WeChat uh, due to export regulations, that it could severely impact people in the U.S. who earn a salary and then transfer the money through WeChat back home to places in the, in the East. But you're right. As soon as you do that, everyone's going to freak out because now if you have the ability to send money somewhere, it's very difficult to trace it. And by design, it's, it's that way. You have a lot of people who are frustrated. And uh, I saw uh, or listened to a recent episode of Darknet Diaries where they talked about the fact that the government gets really interested when suddenly there's a lot of money moving around and they have no visibility into it. It's one of the reasons why uh, encrypted mobile devices uh, that are being uh, put out by companies which with dubious legal authority if you will is such a hot topic for them and the last thing you want is signal suddenly coming under fire from the fbi and mi5 and a bunch of other places um, you know we we constantly hear from the u.s government about how all crypto needs to have a back door that allows the government to come in and decrypt conversations Apple's been fighting this comp for years, and I have a feeling that Signal's about to step into it with whoever takes over those reins. I don't know what the solution's going to be. I personally err on the side of, don't create a key for a lock, because if you do, someone will find a way to pick it. If there's no way for you to get into that conversation, you don't have to worry about it. Now, ultimately you will, because technology marches on. But I want to use an app where people are willing to go to bat for me on a daily basis. I don't want WhatsApp where they're like, hey, well, you remember how we told you we were doing end-to-end encryption? Just kidding, we weren't, and we were really stuffing ads into everything. So I hope for the best. And quite honestly, I'm, I am I agree with with what Marxy said. If you are coding your app on New Year's Eve from a cafe, find a hobby, man, um, paint a picture, and then take a picture of it and put it on the blockchain. But more importantly, find some happiness. And maybe it's building another messaging app. I don't know. But let Signal kind of go fight the battles that need to be fought. And here's hoping that they're going to carve out their own little space to make us all a little bit safer and more secure. All right, Stephen, um, it's been a great news rundown this week. Uh, we do have a couple of things coming up in the week ahead. Uh, one thing I specifically wanted to call out is Networking Field Day 27. That's happening in two weeks, January 26th through the 28th. We have a great lineup of presenters. We have a great lineup of delegates. If you want to learn a little bit more about who they are, make sure you head over to our website at techfieldday.com and click on the link that's in the center of the page, and you can learn a little bit more about who they are. Stephen, do you have any events coming up that people will definitely want to check out?
1: Well, yeah, I would love to uh, point out that we do have uh, Cloud Field Day 13 coming up as well in uh, February, that's February 16 through 18. It's an amazing lineup of companies and delegates talking about uh, next generation uh, infrastructure, including some of the things that we might've mentioned here today and on recent episodes of the rundown. Uh, For example, VMware is gonna be there and I guarantee that they're gonna say Tanzu at least once. So please do tune in on February for Cloud Field Day.
0: Yes, and if you're interested in some more great content that we put out, one thing I do want to call out is the On-Premise IT Roundtable. It's our podcast that we publish every two weeks that includes some discussions, mostly on topic, um, about a variety of things that are somewhat newsworthy, but maybe a little bit more related to things going on behind the scenes. In fact, we just published an episode Uh, Some of our predictions for 2022. Steven and I were on there with some of our friends, Chris Grundemann and Tim Crawford, and we talked about a lot of the things that are probably going to be top of mind for you in 2022. Also, I highly recommend that you watch just because you want to get my take on what VR really is and how much it's going to matter. Um, so make sure you head over to the website, kesthaltit.com slash podcast, and you can subscribe there. Um, remember, you can also subscribe to The Rundown as a podcast as well in case you aren't able to catch it when it comes out every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern Time. Um, but if you can, subscribe in your favorite podcast application of choice or head over to iTunes, leave us a rating, leave us a review. Because people do read those things, and it helps them understand that uh, this is a discussion of enterprise IT news and not uh, consumer tech or something like that, because we want to continue to grow our audience, the wonderful people like you that listen to this. And if you have a topic that you'd like for us to cover on the rundown or you see a news story that you think would be of interest to us, please make sure that you tweet at Gestalt IT and use the hashtag Rundown because we will see it and we will definitely uh, catch it and throw it into the episode. And we'll even give you a little bit of credit for finding it. Well, for Stephen Foskett and myself and our great Gestalt IT community, thank you very much for tuning in for this episode of The Rundown. Remember that we will be back next week with more great news stories. Take care of yourself, stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you then.